Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Be There in Five podcast. And you're welcome for just taking you to church with Taylor Swift's song, Don't Blame Me. That is toward the end of the song. I don't think this is going to be one of her singles, but it is hands down the best song I heard live on Saturday at her concert, which kind of surprised me because I always liked this song, but it kind of um, reminds me of A State of Grace, which is a song off her Red album, in that it's so sonically different from what she usually does, but doesn't mean it's any less quality, but like she has a sector of fans that like really appreciates these departures like myself, but I don't think they always land main mainstream. So I'm not, I'm not sure this will be a single, but my gosh, when it was playing live, I was, I mean, well, let's be honest for majority of her songs, all of the only one I don't care about is shake it off. I don't care about that song at all. And I don't care about, we are never, ever getting back together. I don't care about, I knew you were trouble. Actually, I guess I don't like a lot of her like quote unquote hit singles. Because I think she intentionally does the bubbly pop stuff, the catchy beats, the Pharrell's happy, if you will. Like, that's like songs like that are good. And it's like such an obvious formula for a catchy tune that both two year olds and 80 year olds can like and that they'll play at weddings or whatever. But I, I appreciate the songs with a little more depth, a little bit more uh, layering of musical stylings, and a little bit more lyrical genius than players gonna play, 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 play. And not to be confused with 3LW's Play as Gunplay, Adrian Balon's first venture prior to Cheetah Girls, prior to dating Rob Kardashian, prior to the talk. Anywho, um, the Taylor Swift concert, guys. I mean, here's the thing. I would love to be super cool. I would love to be like, yeah, it's fine. Whatever. It's like, it was in town, so it's fine. But truly, you would have thought I was like at a Pentecostal church speaking in tongues of botched Taylor Swift lyrics because I was so excited to be there. I, I just love, there's nothing like hearing songs that you really love and really mean something to you live. Now, you know, is this some cool indie artist? No. But is this a person who has sung the soundtrack to my life since I was, you know, what, 18, 19 years old? Absolutely. It's, um, there are a few artists that carry you through your formative years and each one of their singles you can attach to certain events that were happening in your life when the song was popular. And then the inner album non-singles, you can attach to like the depth of, of the pits you were going through in your life. I almost feel like the singles are the peaks and the, uh, the uh, you know, lesser known album songs are the pits because I live for Taylor Swift's sad ballad. I've been very forthcoming about how I think all too well is the best piece she's ever written. Apparently it was like 12 minutes long and she cut it down to four or five. It's a beautiful song. It's relatable lyrics. They're really well strung together. I would kill to see it live. And I thought she was going to be alive, but she only did it at the first concert. It was like her special acoustic song. And ours was 22. If there were ever a song I could not care less about, it is 22. It's like hearing brown eyed girl. I get it. A lot of people have brown eyes, but I don't. And it doesn't mean a lot to me. If you're 22, I'm sure you had a ball. But for the rest of us that are so far from 22, it just really bummed me out. And I mean, I guess the good news is I, you know, it was a good bathroom break. Kind of like the Beyonce and Jay-Z on the run tour. Jay-Z, bathroom breaks. Beyonce, back to church. Anyway, my only tip would be that I, I splurged a little bit and got really good seats before the concert started. The key is before the hype comes out and people say it's good, you buy tickets on the secondhand market. So I got a good price for good seats that way went up once like everyone was like, oh, wow, this is actually just as good as 1989, which I think people were really skeptical about. Um, 
But this time she has like four stages in the front and backs of the floor. So instead of having good seats where I was like, I could see her toward the front the whole time, I actually ended up having half bad seats because I was far from the back. (laughs) So she did her first songs up at the front and then she moves to the back of the the, uh, stadium and like good for everyone else in the nosebleeds. But I mean, girlfriend spent spent a spent a couple bucks on these. Wish I could have uh, seen a little bit better, but what are you going to do? The joke was is that I always, always, always buy nosebleeds. But since there was kind of some speculation around this tour, since the prices weren't as bad as usual, I was like, my sister's coming in town. I I want to have a good view. I want to really enjoy this. I love this album, and uh, but I've never been like on the floor before. And truly, I did not see a single person my age. And if I did, they were a young mother because the seats on the floor are what people buy for their children if your parents are rich and they buy expensive concert tickets. So truly, it was me and my sister holding margaritas, wearing uh, Be There in Five branded T-shirts, huge regret, in a sea of seven to 12-year-olds with their mothers who packed copious amounts of rain gear. And I was incredibly jealous. Um... So that was a little bit awkward because all of the kids were like pretty like whatever, unaffected. And, you know, I was having a meltdown. My sister was somewhere in the middle. Uh, but anyway, yeah, you know, I've, I've, I used to think that wearing Be There in Five branded clothing was really good in public venues. It's almost like a walking billboard, free advertising. But the, I forget that do I want my behavior attached to this brand? And if I were like a 12-year-old who like posts everything on Snapchat and Instagram and you can see me from the back, and it's almost like I'm the uh, that toddler in Mean Girls that like tries to replicate Khalees's moves of the song Milkshake when she was watching TV at Regina George's house. It's like I'm trying to like dance along with her, but I'm like not. I have like the dancing, you know, prowess of probably a toddler, but I'm a pretty large person. I was probably blocking their view, and I just I don't know if I needed uh, that kind of press to be out there. So. If you're new to this podcast because you happen to see me at the Taylor Swift concert and read my shirt, God bless and welcome. And also, if you happen to pass me on the Dan Ryan sitting in Taylor Swift concert traffic on the way there and saw me give the finger and scream a few choice words at a trolley of disgusting 22-year-old frat bros, I'm not sorry for that either. Um, We were like sitting in traffic doing nothing. And these guys on this trolley were heckling us. And I don't mean like catcalling. I mean like saying gross, weird stuff nonstop. And we just like weren't looking up. And here's the thing. I don't want to give people a reaction. Um, That's what they want sometimes. But also I don't want them to get away with it. Like I always say I kind of like want to play along to get like a creep to come to full fruition and then like right before I split or have a break make them feel terrible. Like for example, if uh, somebody is hitting on you incessantly and you notice they are married uh, and granted I mean, you know, you're in a th- at a third party vendor in the safety of the general public. If you're being heckled and they are married, uh, part of me doesn't see the harm in playing along to a point where you get enough out of them where they think you're about to like go off somewhere, but again, you're safe and you're in public. And you're like, I'm going to go to the bathroom or I left my purse somewhere. I'm doing something, but I don't want, you know, if we get split up, do you have a card? Take their card, walk a few steps away and say, 
Thanks so much. I'll be contacting your wife shortly. F you. You're married. You're disgusting. You're a pig. And walk away. That way, they, you probably will never contact them, but let them shake in their boots. I want people to do, do this stuff to feel consequence, and the high road doesn't yield consequence. So if you can safely lead them on and then lead them to believe that you will destroy their life and then walk away safely where they can't come after you, I think that sounds like a little bit more fun. Don't you think? Um, tugboat. Only good boys on the ground get crumbs. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, quick side note. Uh, Greg had, I think I was out of town for a weekend when Greg was with, my husband was with the dog. And he... <laughs> He taught him th- to stop begging, which is great for food, but he taught him t- to get down in the, on the floor and stop begging by saying, only good boys on the ground get crumbs, which is the longest <laughs> command, the humanly possible for a dog. And to, every time I'm like cooking or doing something or having a snack, to be like, talking about only good boys on the ground get crumbs, only good boys on the ground get crumbs. It's like, well, okay, you could have done like settle, sit. I don't know, normal dog commands. Now when somebody watches them, not only am I going to have to send them that like 20-page PDF I read in episode two, I'm also going to be like, okay, well, yeah, so if he's bothering you, just say, only good boys on the ground get crumbs, and then he can have some crumbs. But like, oh, you don't want to give him your, your leftover food? Okay, well, that's not possible either, because if he is a good boy on the ground, he deserves crumbs. Like, pretty simple. Just, it's an acronym. You can say it quick. O-G-B-O-T-G-G-C. <laughs> Who wants to dog sit? So, okay, I had like a whole other podcast, but it's Friday and I just cannot even believe the week's events and can't, I don't know. I just can't like talk about Southern charm. Um, I mean, it, it's, what, an, what a sad week. I mean, God, I, and I know it's, I'm sure it's been talked about at length everywhere and I know you don't need my two cents, but I, and I, I guess with Kate Spade, it, that was tragic enough. And everything with her daughter, excruciating. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but Anthony Bourdain today got me. Uh, he is, Kate Spade, I know, I, I, you know, I, I know the name and the legacy and all that, but I didn't know her face. I didn't know much about her. And like Anthony Bourdain, I guess I just felt like he was in my home. Like he, he was this a great storyteller of people in all corners of the world that we would never get to see otherwise and introduced us to who they were and their, the complexities of, of the human condition, no matter where you live, and told great stories through wine and travel and food. And I don't know, he was just such an interesting, irreverent character that was fairly open and honest about his vices. And um, I, I just, I don't know. I guess you never see anything coming. Something doesn't sit right with me with Anthony Bourdain, and I... You know, it's like, you got to give it a second um, before you go and dive into, like, you know, what people say online. And I've read a blind item that I can't unread. Um, and, you know, it just feels like it, isn't, it just doesn't, it's just not adding up. Uh, and it's weird that they're back to back and the mouse mask is weird and things just feel weird. You know, when you you hear stories like this week, I mean, okay, so yesterday, Thursday, it was confirmed that Kate Spade at 55 committed suicide and it, it was alleged up until I think Wednesday or Thursday and then it was confirmed and I mean it's it's so incredibly awful on so many levels and I guess what the weird part about this whole situation is our, our 
access to information is a little bizarre. Um, I don't know why immediately we knew it was a suicide, how it happened, that we had people were quoting from a note. People were saying, you know, that, uh, you know, a note to her daughter about how much she loves her and it's not her fault to ask daddy. And then some media was slanting it as ask daddy because it's his fault. Some were saying ask daddy as and he knows how much I love you. And meanwhile, I'm kind of like, why am I even reading this? Because I feel like typically uh, in those circumstances, when people have died abruptly, there was an overdose, there's a suspected suicide. It takes weeks and weeks and weeks for that information to come out, don't you think? And we like had this news story immediately. And then her sister talked the next day and was talked about her demons and and almost seemed like not surprised and that she didn't want it to stigmatize her brand. And I was kind of like, yikes, why is this sister talking about this so soon? Why is the doorman doing an interview? Uh, And that the husband coming out in a mouse mask is one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. And, you know, the online conspiracy theorists are like, oh, it's it's a sign. He's signaling someone about something. It's a mask from the rescuers. Uh, which is a cartoon from the 1970s uh, about like mice that rescue children that have been abducted. And I mean, there's crazy stuff online. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is so much. And I guess what's annoying to me about it all is regardless of if he just wanted to shield himself from the paparazzi, I mean, cover your face, do something else. That The mouse mask made a mockery of it. It's making people talk. You're not helping yourself by wearing that stupid mask. And now everyone on the internet's going to think you're you know, part of the Illuminati or something. Um, and then this morning, Anthony Bourdain, I'm just like, what? The the storyteller of all storytellers, the person who go to the, this, the most underrepresented corners of the earth and uh, tell stories of locals through food, through wine, uh, that I, 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 and he, he also was like a real crusader. His, he was dating a, one of the Harvey Weinstein whistleblowers. And really spoke out about against the creeps. And given that like Mauro Batali and co in his industry had, you know, been part of the Me Me Too callouts, he, he seemed like an upstanding guy. And I don't know a lot about him, but like I, that was so shocking, too. And I'm sure more will come out. But it's just like, what's going on and why do these things happen in patterns? Like I kind of hate when people talk about the rule of threes and stuff because it's creepy and weird. And there's, is that legit? But at the same time, I don't know. I just, it's very, very hard to to grasp, to come to terms with, to understand. And I guess for me, the, the biggest thing I want this from all of this is the dial, the media dialogue is driving me nuts because it's like, um, look at all these photos and videos of uh, Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, like looking happy right before, like what a surprise. They were so happy. And it's, you know, that, that, that's not the point. The point is, it's, it's not the point that you can, somebody can appear to be outwardly so happy, but as it's completely disconnected from what's going on on the inside. And typically these situations are the people that really suffer in silence because for some reason they're not reaching out in the way they should be in order to get the help they need in order to get themselves out of their own head because it is imperative, imperative you acknowledge there is something wrong. There is a loss of control and I need to get out of my own head and not fear for what that means for your life, not fear for there being a stigma. But that, all that aside, the one thing I want to say is because I feel like there's a lot of conversation around, obviously, the importance of uh, checking in with yourself and 
while you have control, taking control of your mental health and making sure that you're conscious of your default setting and your baseline. And when you deviate from it, you're involving other people, third parties to help you when you're no longer at a point where you can make logical decisions, when you're at a point of such despair that this seems like a logical decision. As they say, that, that a permanent solution to a temporary problem is, is all you've got. The key is catching this in the middle while it's happening in the process. Uh, I cannot speak to what somebody feels like in that moment. I have not been there personally, but I can speak to uh, being a person with somewhat of a melancholic disposition, having had a lot of feelings since I could walk since as long as I can remember. I've always felt like I felt things more than people around me. Um, but just as, you know, Kanye said with his bipolar disorder coming out with his album this week, it's his superpower. I think there's equilibrium in that if you feel things deeply negatively, you also feel happiness, positivity, satisfaction immensely. And I think in accessing that level of depth of emotion, you're able to communicate things that other people can't. You're able to access parts of your brain other people can't you have a resilience that nobody will ever understand and you truly have a superpower because you've been to hell and back and if i can you know i do take this platform seriously and i know a lot of people listen to podcasts and and consume content when they're at moments where they do where they are withdrawing socially i know i do sometimes and um if anyone out there is ever suffering or having a hard time or questioning like you know the thoughts in their own head um, first of all, just know it's not your fault and there's absolutely no shame. And you, you, you have, you don't have control. It, it, there are chemical imbalances that happen and they need to be addressed medically, just like any other part of your body. It is, is, it is so important that you tr- treat your mind no different than your foot or your hand or your heart or, or your stomach, whatever it may be. Um, and it's, it's just important to, Find acceptance in who you are, whatever that means, and to know that even if in this current moment right now, you cannot feel that there being any benefit or silver lining, and I am not trivializing it by any sense. What I mean is, even if you can't feel it now, you will find in life, you are going to be so above average at everything you do because of this experience, because there is so there's so much wisdom gained. There's so much of yourself you get to meet. There's so much clarity that happens after the storm that people who live in constant fair weather maybe won't ever get to understand. And I think as much as we all, whether you suffer from depression or anxiety or whatever it may be or not, as much as we all can eliminate the stigma of mental illness being associated with volatility and see it more as a person having incredible range, incredible wisdom, incredible life experience and resilience that makes them unlike anybody else. Anytime you can kind of retrain your brain to think that way, I think it's important because some of the, some of the greatest people I know, some of the people, my closest friends, some of the people that have been through just such ups and downs in life are the people I respect the most that have the most wisdom that use their experience to help people, that they have incredible range, creative output. They've been able to channel every negative experience into something greater. And if you can trust that you'll get there, even if you don't believe it today, that's really all you can do. And if the rest of us 
can work hard to not make people feel like outliers, to not make them feel like they did something wrong or they're sick or like, you know, that there's something to be ashamed of. I think that's really what we should be doing. And so, you know, so much of the dialogue right now, as it should be, is around like, you know, if you need help, what, what can you do if you are the person in this situation? But I do want to flip the script a little bit and talk about being the confidant because part of this is taking control of your own mental health and um, being your own advocate, which is so important in the process before it gets, before you get too far. But the other part of this is why, how, how are we responding to our friends, to our loved ones that make them feel like it's not a safe space to talk? How can we best serve the people we know going through really difficult times? How can I serve as somebody who has somewhat of a public platform? Um, you know, I, I guess I, I, and I, I don't want to just be giving like my own advice, but I, I feel like in my experience, what I feel is the best thing you can do, that I've had the most meaningful discussions with people, the best breakthroughs is when I've just stopped giving my opinion. Because when you just listen and you're a sounding board, you keep people honest. And I think that the most important thing to keep your finger on the pulse of people that may be struggling, the most important thing you can do is keep them honest. And there's something about giving your unsolicited opinion or solicited that if you jump to it too fast or if you feel strongly about something, they can't unhear it. They know how you feel. They know where you stand. And then it's really uncomfortable to ask for advice you don't take. And then I think people start to withdraw and they stop telling you things. Um, So as much as you can withhold your opinion for a moment and really focus on just asking questions. And I think so often people know exactly what they need to do, but it's very hard to have that own discourse in your head and make up your own mind. Um, But if you ask questions, you can get people there. And beyond just don't interrogate them, ask, okay, so if if you did X, what would that look like? If you did Y, what would that look like? If you did these different hypothetical situations, what are your fears? What's the best that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? And how could we address that together? How could we figure this out? To, To just let somebody know you're with them in the process and to talk very candidly about what may or may not happen in each situation just to be a, it's, it's a way to include yourself in the decision-making process that isn't forceful and um, helps the other person feel safe and not judged and not like if you don't, if they don't do what you say, you're going to get frustrated. I think it, we all know that we, when friends are like constantly down or complaining about the same stuff and not changing anything, it's like you just get so frustrated And it's for, we just need to be able to identify the signs better of when it's just kind of a chronic complaining and when it's a chemical imbalance. And that's a hard thing to do. And those are hard conversations to have. Um, But I think there's a way you can get there by just above all else being a sounding board and being a soft place to land. I think that more people need that in their personal relationships. But when you care, all you want to do is fix. You you hear a problem, you see somebody in pain, you need to fix it immediately. 
But oftentimes people don't, that's not what they're seeking at all. Um, maybe they're seeking validation. Maybe they just want you to listen. Maybe they do want to bounce some ideas off of you and need some advice, but let them dictate it. Don't just immediately jump in and, and try to solve it. And I know that's something I'm, I'm always trying to figure out because I, I insert myself in everything. And I just, my instinct is to just take over and that's not helping anybody. Um, so anyway, just some thoughts on being a, a good friend and helping other people. And it's, I've talked a lot about how hard it is to make friends as an adult and you just don't know on the receiving end if somebody is ready to like hear something kind of, you know, heavy or how it's going to be received or if they're going to think you're weird. And it is hard to find those people. So no matter if it's your best friend or somebody you just met or whatever, I don't think it's ever a bad thing to uh, be a person that people feel like they're able to talk openly and honestly to and be a resource that can point people in the right direction. And if I can ever help any of you, please, please let me know. Um, and of course, more importantly, go talk to a friend, to a loved one, to um, a third party. You are important. You are invaluable. You are indispensable. Your contribution to society is unmatched and only you have your personality and your unique set of experiences that will produce your own unique output to the world that we desperately, desperately need. I went to see Hamilton with my sister this weekend. It was one of her birthday surprises. And I mean, I, I bring up Hamilton constantly, but um, it was poignant to me this past week because a big theme they explore is, you know, who lives, who dies, who tells your story. And how we have no control over how people talk about us or our legacy once we're gone. But like in our lifetime, we do have control about telling our own stories. And I think it's kind of you know, it's my nature to be more reserved. And I, I've always seen privacy as this sort of value. But the more I talk, the more people I get to meet, the more I've been open about my own experiences, the more I hear from other people and the more the, the nonsense I'm doing, I find great meaning in. And I talked last week about how the dangers of comparing ourselves and how that's a root cause that I would want to explore more. And I Yes, part of that too is at the very least teaching yourself not to compare yourself to artificial constructs of people. Whether that's people who pretend they're happy or facetune their photos or like whatever. Let them do them. That's fine. You just don't need to be comparing yourself to our artificial benchmarks. And the only way to not do that is to have people that authentically share their stories and that communicate their experiences to others and who can serve as a realistic proxy for how you get in and out of situations in life, how you get from A to B, how, how what success looks like in a normal, realistic day-to-day -day sense, how to put one foot in front of the other sometimes. Like, I just, I think there's so much, so much importance in sharing your story and not in a way that makes you uncomfortable and not when you're not ready. I just mean, I guess, in having this podcast, even though it's weird and sometimes I question the validity of why I should ever have a platform. I also really do take it seriously and I appreciate you being here and let me letting me tell my stories, letting me tell my tell you my thoughts. Um I don't take it lightly and uh I guess I don't know. I, I when I, I the second act of Hamilton makes me like absolutely inconsolable every time anyway. This time I I went to the bathroom during the part that I can't handle cuz like I just could not snap to have snap back last time I saw it. Um, 
But one part I love that's kind of on theme with uh, what we've talked about the last couple weeks, and I'm sorry these have been heavier. It's just like, I don't want to talk about stuff that I don't feel like talking about because then it's unnatural. And then I'm just like, you know, it, you just, I feel better off going with the, the mood and the vibe of the week and what's relevant. And um, I think that one thing I love about Hamilton is the exploration of two different personality types that kind of have the same goal and that have the same background, but how you get there is so different and how it can make you so at odds. And they're both orphans, both their parents have died and they both are incredibly ambitious and want great things for their life. But Alexander Hamilton is, he's, he writes incredibly fast. He's incredibly ambitious. He steamrolls. He doesn't care what people think. He'll go at any length to be successful. No one can stop him. He's not throwing away his shot. Aaron Burr is much more passive relative to Alexander's aggressive style. And he's been through a lot in his life. Everyone who loves him has died. He's like, if there's a reason, you know, they've all died and I've still survived, then like, I'm willing to wait for it. And A, I think this is interesting because it shows the victors often write history. Um, the play really humanizes Burr and de-villainizes him. And you can understand why they're just such fundamentally different people that kept bumping into each other and crossing paths. Um, but B, it's, it's interesting for me to like identify more with the Burr. Like, I am definitely a person who's not going to step on toes, who's going to keep their head down, who's going to work hard and hope that that's what matters in the end. And sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes it's not fair. And it's really frustrating to see people get things faster who you perceive to work less hard than you. But th you can't discount their path either because clearly it's effective. Um, but you also can't fake who you are. And if you try to be that, you know, steamrolling type person, it's not going to work for you. Um, so anyways, I just... There's a song called Wait For It that Aaron Burr sings that is my, one of my favorite songs of all time. And he says a line in it that is just a beautiful composition of the English language. Um, he says, I am inimitable, I am an original. And A, inimitable, like what a, isn't that just like the most beautiful word you've ever heard? It has the nicest cadence and syllabic balance. Um, but it, it's, it's really true. I mean, nobody, they, nobody, nobody is you. Nobody has what you have. Like you have so many gifts and so much to give the world. And yes, it's going to be painful to try different avenues and to test and learn. And a lot of them aren't going to work, but like, who cares? Because you're chipping away and getting closer to the thing you're going to be great at. And I, I, it was just helpful for me to see Hamilton last weekend and be reminded of these themes and reminded of how much I love this song. And in the light of, you know, talking about comparisons after Burr shoots Hamilton, they sing a song called the world was wide enough, how he should have known the world was wide enough for both of them. Just because you want the same thing doesn't mean you both can't have it. People create these false constructs in their head about thing, things have to be one or the other, but that's anxiety talking like that. That isn't real. Our brains write incredible fiction that we have to see as not being factual. And I don't know, I guess, um, to cap this off, I, I'm gonna. I just wanted to play you part of this song because it's so important to me. And if you're a person that's having a hard time, a tough season in life, uh, good things are coming around the corner if you can wait for them. I, I've never known anybody who has really, really, really wanted something and gone to the grave just straight up not having it. <laughs> 
whether you want something for your career, whether you want to be in a relationship, whether, you know, you want children in some capacity, whatever struggle you're having, you will get it in the way you need to, in the way that your story is supposed to evolve, in the way that you ultimately be able to find meaning in your own life. You're not falling behind or running late. I'm running late, but you are not. <laughs> um, and you'll hear that line in the song. But um, anyway, uh, again, sorry this isn't super upbeat, but I still feel like it's important. And love all of you so much. Um, you can find me at Be There in 5 on Instagram, Be There in 5.com, Be There in 5.etsy.com, and on Patreon, where I will probably post the original version of this episode that is about such fascinating nonsense. I mean, I think I read two different poems I've written on two different topics. I don't even know why. I just wasn't in the mood today to share that. <laughs> um, all right. So anyway, as always, let me know your thoughts and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five. I swear. I'm willing to wait for it.